Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye talk. It's Doug Lynn Reese. We're going to do rants. And then we're going to have another pod coming a little bit later on Friday. Uh, for instance, one of the rants we got from the 843, will you have a post-game recap, pressers, recap concerns, provide your scheduled coverage for the next few days? Um, so I did a call out for rants. Do you guys know that this is a rants pod? We haven't done that in a while. I do the call out to texters. You guys know what texters are? I feel like we've added some new people, and I don't just want to use a shorthand in case you're new here. If you're new, welcome. If you're old, still welcome. We have tech subscribers, 614-350-3315. You can send us text to that number. You get a, a link back. You sign up. It's free for two weeks. Then you get news and analysis in your phone from us, right? And I also do call-outs. I say, send your rants about Ohio State. We haven't done it in a while, but guess what? The game's tomorrow. <laughs> it's crazy. The game's tomorrow. Later on Friday will be a pod where we will make our picks. We're going to do the picks separately. This is rants to get all your final feelings out. And so then our, our, our schedule, our plan for coverage is two pods Friday, this one and the picks pod. A bunch more stories up that we put up Friday. A bunch more stories Saturday morning. There's a news conference with Kirby Smart and Ryan Day Friday morning, which is like the final, final wrap-up. You get the coaches the, the day before the game. And then we'll be texting during the game on Saturday night, we'll be writing right after the game. We will do a post-game podcast before we go to bed and have that up. So you'll have that when you wake up Sunday morning, win or lose for Ohio State. And then we'll have a bunch of stories there, too, at cleveland.com slash OSU. So I hope that explains that. And I'm wondering about this. Also, I'm going to send a texter survey out Friday morning for you guys to make your picks, for the texters to make their picks and, and answer a couple of the questions in survey format about the game. From the 813, is it just, oh, we're going to talk about like what people are feeling about and a couple specific things about the game. And I, I might get into a, a thing that I was having long discussions with some people uh, on Friday about, which is potentially t- all of us taking the opportunity in this new era of college football, maybe not today, 
but soon to redefine what success is, not as an excuse for anybody. And it's something we've I've talked about at times before, but just to make all of us, I think, maybe a little happier. And it's not settling, but it's redefining success. So we're going to talk about that a little bit because I do think it sounds like when you come on a pod right before a huge game and you talk about reading, redefining success, it sounds like, let's talk about excuses for why you still should be happy if they lose. And that's not what I mean. I mean like bigger picture than that, but kind of we're in small picture territory because they're playing Georgia from the 813. Is it just me or does this entire playoff cycle seem to lack any kind of juice? Or am I simply describing life as an Ohio State fan? It just doesn't feel that either game is generating the buzz and there doesn't seem to be the usual ramp up. It feels like a majority of Ohio State fans are, of course, hoping for a miracle win like 2014, but most aren't expecting that. And they just want them to be competitive and not get embarrassed. Not the most optimistic take I know. I don't think I feel that. Now, I do think the TCU factor here, this is just what happens. It's one of those things. It's, it's the way it works in life. Everybody gets sick of the same old teams. Everybody likes underdogs. And then you get an underdog, and then people aren't as excited. And it's like, oh, like, what if it was Michigan, Oklahoma, or Michigan, USC, or Michigan, Clemson, or or like all the same old teams? Like, wouldn't that, like, I think, like, people would be more juiced up. So that's not a shot at TCU. It doesn't mean TCU can't win. But I think it's sometimes like when Michigan State was in a playoff game, when Washington was in a playoff game, sometimes you're not as fired up because it's like, I don't know, like they're really good and they earned it, but are, are they really one of the four best teams? And that's, you know, four best and four most deserving. Again, we're soon going to be done with that conversation with the 12-team playoff. So I would agree. And then Michigan does not have a super dynamic style of play. Their best player is out for the year in Blake Corum. They don't have an Aiden Hutchinson type dude. And the two guys with the ball in their hands the most and J.J. McCarthy and Donovan Edwards are like kind of new to the scene. So I don't think Michigan has as much juice. I think this game has juice. I think if you're an Ohio State fan that feels like this game doesn't have juice, I, I would, I think, attribute that to an Ohio State bubble of the Buckeyes coming off a loss and a general that vibe, which we've talked about a lot, and you guys fell off to explain that vibe to you. But I don't know. I think people think, like from the outside, if you're not a fan of either team, I think it's like, oh, defending national champs, great defense versus a two-time Heisman finalist at quarterback, arguably the best receiver in the country and Marvin Harrison Jr., um, a contrast of styles, like, let's go. Like, I kind of want to see this. I'm, like, curious to see what this looks like. Because I do think, you know, like, people like offense, and Ohio State has dudes. So I I, I don't – I don't – I really don't feel that. I – I, if you know, you guys can let me know, text, whatever. You'll let us know. If you think it's bigger than just Ohio, stands, Ohio State fans maybe feeling that. It's hard, like, Bama's not in. Clemson's not in, the Heisman winner's not in, which is unusual. So those are three huge things. The two dominant programs of the era on the Heisman winner aren't here. So that's a thing. But I think Ohio State George is pretty juicy. So I think, I think, I think we're good. I think we're good with that. Here, so there's a lot at stake here. And we're going to talk about sort of like the different views that people are, are taking into this game from a fan perspective. We'll get into the football a little bit. I do feel like we've done a lot of football breakdown. On this pod, 
We did offense, defense for both sides. We had Lance Reisland, who I thought did a good job from a film perspective. We've sort of talked about you know things here on site based off interviews. We did have media day on Thursday. We'll provide a little information from that. Nathan talked to Sonny Styles. I talked to CJ Hicks. You know, we, we moved around and talked to, like, interesting dudes behind the scenes, not just the major players in this game. But this is, I thought, from the 5-1-3, a good overall view of what potentially is at stake here. Maybe you agree. Maybe you don't. This may sound dramatic, but I believe that this Peach Bowl has a lot more on the line than just a trip to the championship. I believe this game may also be for the heart and passion of many Buckeye fans. Speaking on a personal note, I've been a diehard fan my entire life. However, I feel like the team slipping these past two seasons, losing two in a row to Michigan, losing their edges of program, slipping in recruiting, coupled with my Cincinnati Bengals being on the rise, is starting to take some of that intense, all-out Buckeye passion away from me. I'll always root hard for the team and follow them closely, but I'm finding it harder and harder to be as intensely into it as I used to be due to the factors I listed. However, I feel like a win against Georgia and a berth in the title game would recapture that passion. This may be true for a lot of other fans too, or it just might be me. I hope that doesn't make me a spoiled bandwagon fan. Anyway, I hope you have a safe stay in Atlanta. I will be at the Peach Bowl. I'm excited to see what kind of fight this team has. Go Bucks. That's Gabe. Listen, nobody, you guys love your team, right? That's why you listen to this podcast. You love this team. You love rooting for this team. And you're in a weird spot. Here's the reminder that, well, let me do one more. Let me do one more along these lines. Same same vibe. From the 614, my rant is that I don't want to get too emotionally connected to the outcome of this game because we are just playing with house money. But yet, there is a ton at stake, including a chance to play Michigan again. I wish I was feeling more juiced up, and I feel like I should be way more amped. So, okay. I was having this conversation with some people on Thursday. I went over. We're in a media hotel. Atlanta's nice. Atlanta's huge. It's like you drive into Atlanta and the downtown metro area like goes on forever. Good city. So we're in, we're in a media hotel um, about three blocks from Centennial Olympic Park. So you can walk through that. The College Football Hall of Fame is right on the other side of that. It's right on the park. That's where they had the media day for the team. College Football Hall of Fame is nice. If you're a college football fan, you would probably like it. Doesn't feel huge to me. It's not the best Hall of Fame I've been to. I like going to Halls of Fame. It's not Hall of Fame. It's Halls of Fame. Negro League Museum in Kansas City is excellent. I really, I do think obviously the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is really good. Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame is really good. I've been to the Basketball Hall of Fame in Massachusetts. I like that. So like, like this one's good. Um, maybe I didn't go to every area, but it feels like a little short compared to some of those. No shade, though. But anyway, the team hotel's over there where Ohio State's staying. They're staying. They'll stay in the Omni. It's not a secret. It's like right next. They walked to the College Football Hall of Fame because they were like a block away. The whole team came, and the whole team was at media day. So anyway, so I went, and then I just wanted to get a, a different view of things. So I went and just like hung out in the team hotel for a couple hours on Thursday afternoon. And people were coming through, so just had some conversations, you know, just saying hey to people. They're trying to get ready for a game. They want, don't want to hang out with me. I don't. They don't want to hang out with me anyway. But here's something that I think we should keep in mind. And again, I do this with you, not to you. We're all in this together because we are spending uh, our break between Christmas and New Year's talking about a lot about a football team and a football game. This is the point. This is the goal. 
Nobody's goal is to be good at NIL for the sake of being good at NIL. Nobody's goal is to be good at recruiting for the sake of recruiting. Urban always said, if, you know, if you're keeping track, we want to win. But it's, it's for a purpose. Nobody wants to be the team that gets the most transfers in the portal just to get the transfers. Everything is in service of this. And so Ohio State's here. All the other things that we talk about, that you worry about, that we analyze, are in service of them needing to be good at that, theoretically, in order to get here. So I would just advise if you're down about NIL. Now listen, there's there's two things that matter. Getting here and Ohio State beating Michigan. And again, I those are two separate things. Those are two separate paths. If you're still mad or sad or upset or full of angst because they lost to Michigan, I, that I think is true because that that is that is a thing in, unto itself. The purpose of beating Michigan is not to get to the national title game. The purpose of beating Michigan is beating Michigan. Everything else serves the purpose of beating Michigan and trying to get to the national title game. So the one is done and it didn't happen and you can't do anything about that. The other one is here. So just like whatever NIL is, if you're worried about NIL, if you're worried about how that affects recruiting, if you're worried about them in the portal, if you're worried about anything with the coaching staff or anything like that, it's because you're worried that like down the line, those things are going to catch up to the to this team and prevent them from getting here. But it it's not preventing them now because they're here. So I would just try to put the other stuff out of your mind because the point is that they are here. This is why everything else matters. This is why Dylan Raiola's decommitment matters because you think, does it lessen the chances of getting here in 2024 if they don't have an an effective and robust NIL plan? Does that decrease the chances of them getting here in 2025, right? You know that with your head. Make sure you're realizing it with your heart because also this, and I'm trying to write this. I'm having trouble writing I forget how to write sometimes. I I write more on both sites. Um, Still potting. And I've got some stuff that I've got to unwind and get out, but, but my fingers aren't working great. But I'm trying to write this because I think this is real and potentially has been not focused upon enough. From the 336, this is a down year for the SEC. I know they win every championship, so they get the benefit of the doubt, but it is a bit ridiculous this year. Where has the recognition been for the Big Ten getting two teams in the college football playoff? I feel because most think Georgia will win, this accomplishment has been overlooked. The Big needs to win a champion. The Big Ten needs to win a championship this year because if they can't win with two teams in during an SEC down year, why should they ever get the benefit of the doubt again? So, like the Big Ten is back. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed because the problem with the Big Ten being back is that it makes Ohio State lose. So you focus on the second part without maybe wanting to acknowledge the first part. I think maybe we've closed the loop from 2006 that Ohio State-Michigan 1-2 was the peak of Big Ten football in the modern era. And not like like Big Ten football that isn't just Ohio State's good. Because an Ohio State National Championship in 2014, hey, they're a Big Ten team. They won the National Championship. That's the peak. But if you're trying to have a peak that is more than just one team, if you're trying to look at things comprehensively and that you're not a one-team conference, I think the peak of Big Ten football in the modern era is one versus two Michigan. 
Then Ohio State, as a favorite, goes, gets blown out by Florida. It's the rise of the SEC. And the SEC takes over everything. And we spend the last 16 years trying to figure out if the Big Ten can compete, why the Big Ten can't compete, what the league needs to do better in service of competing. And now, here we are, 16 years later, and there are two Big Ten teams among the four best in the country, and there is one SEC team. And how about that? Now, because of the way perception works, because of the way reality works, the best way for this to happen is for Ohio State to lose. So you care more reasonably, of course. Of course you do. You care more about your team than you do about the conference. Now you want the conference to be good in service of your team, of their hopes and dreams, of of propping up their resume, of challenging them, but maybe not beating them. But really, if you're going to do it, the best way to get two teams in for the Big Ten is for somebody to beat Ohio State and Ohio State still gets in. This is it. Because Michigan has not built up the cachet, though, I think, at the same benefit of the doubt if they would have been exactly who Ohio State is. And they had a bad non-conference schedule. So Michigan would have had a harder time, I think. They might have gotten in anyway, but they would have had a harder time getting in without winning the Big Ten. So here we are. They're back. The Big Ten's back. I don't know if anyone noticed. It's taken 16 years, but the Big Ten, because Michigan is good, because Ohio State is still good, because USC and UCLA are coming, because schools like Wisconsin with Matt Rule, excuse me, Wisconsin with Luke Fickle, Nebraska with Matt Rule, Mel Tucker at Michigan State, the investment that Michigan State made last year when they were a New Year's Six team, I still think Penn State legitimately is one of the 10 best teams in the country this year. The Big Ten is back. This is what the Big Ten has wanted to be. But when you are this good, it's not going to be a one-team conference anymore. But if you want to have a battle, if you want to have any kind of conversation about the SEC and the Big Ten, it's a, it's a more robust, I use that word twice now, think of new words, Doug. It's a more robust conversation when you can, when you can lean on just more than one example. Well, Ohio State, then what? Georgia's given the SEC that. LSU in 19 gave a quick version of that to the SEC. Bama's the baseline. In the Big Ten, Ohio State's the baseline. But adding Michigan, getting ready to add USC, this is an addition. This version of Michigan is an addition. It's like they came in fresh and new. So I think we can take a moment to acknowledge that. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I'm trying to write this. I'm trying to write it. And it's like, and in the midst of it, Kevin Warren might leave to be the president of the Chicago Chicago Bears. As the league peaks, huge TV deal, two new teams coming in, and it's two teams in the playoff, and the boss is leaving. Sounds like it's going to happen. I don't have any reporting on it, but there's been enough things. I was talking to people. It's like, how does this leak? Where does it come from? I don't know. But, um, you know, Pete Thamel from ESPN, who's as, as good at this as anybody, is the guy who broke the story that it's probably going to happen that Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, has interviewed to be the president and CEO of the Chicago Bears. And and I think once a story like that comes out in that form, it's because it's going to happen. So that's going to be – it is – it's a little weird. I do think it's a little weird because someone was saying, like, Kevin Warren's ultimate goal is to be the NFL commissioner. And so it's like, well, I ran a league, which is – I was a commissioner, but now I'm going back to get in the NFL because if you want to be the commissioner, you got you got to hang out with the owners and have the owners know you and like you because they, they pick the commissioner and they're not going to pick a college guy. So if that's the ultimate plan – Maybe a three-year run showing that I can run a league. I got a TV deal done. I got the business side of things done. 
is good for that, but it's like, and as the league peaks, the guy in charge leaving. So <laughs> I did think that was, it doesn't puncture anything, but it's like, what, for real? Is this a celebration? Because one of the reports was that he's not going to either game, which is weird. Because like, oh, and, and by the way, like my, uh, this story that I want to write, I sent like a message to the Big Ten of like, hey, can I talk to Kevin Warren? And then it's like, oh, that's why they haven't gotten back to me. Because maybe he's not going to be that anymore. But I do think this is once, because in 2006, the 1-2 game, the point is that they're the two best teams in the country when they play that game. And this is how good the conference is. And then the discussion of even though Michigan lost, should it be a rematch of Ohio State-Michigan in a national title game in a world where back then there were only two teams? If there had been a four-team playoff, Michigan would have been in it. It would have been this situation. So that's why it's so similar. But it, we have not had it, it. We have not been in that place since then. So to get back to that place as a league requires Ohio State's firm grip, loosening, slackening at least a little bit, because there's got to be room for everybody else, for other people to be good, and for other people to be good, it's more difficult for the same team to be great every single year at the same level. So I think we should say that the, that this is good for the league. It, it is a goal of the league. And then that requires acknowledging that Michigan is excellent. And sometimes you lose to excellent teams. But Ohio State's still here. So I think this is right. I don't, I don't think anybody backed into this. And, you know, it, TCU deserves to be here. But if you were doing pure four best, right, which I don't like doing, but if you were, if you were doing that, though, I don't think you'd kick out Ohio State or Michigan. I think you'd be like, no, they both earned it. Ohio State backdoor earned it, but they both earned it, and they both actually are. Because who else are you going to put in? Like, maybe you replace TCU with, like, Alabama or USC, but, like, are you really kicking Ohio State out if you're doing pure? I don't think you are. So I think it's okay to acknowledge that. Have a little celebration. I like. I always send a call for rants. I say usually in all caps, "call for rants" to the texters from the six one five. I like to read these texts as this is a call for runts, as if you guys need candy so badly you're asking us to mail them to you. Thanks for the coverage. I do like runts. I really like bottle caps because I do think right. This is is this everyone's relationship to super sweet uh, candy. Like that, it's from your Little League games, the concession stand at your Little League games. Is that not where everybody in the world first ate runts and bottle caps and Mike and Ikes and stuff? It's like you play your Little League game, and then and did people get used to you mix all the sodas together? It's like, oh, what do you have at the at the concession stand? Like the, the lines that, that hooked up the soda dispensers, right? They've Can you imagine the gunk that was in that stuff, the stuff that we ingested? So... But you'd have like root beer, 7-Up, an orange soda, and a cola. And then kids would get all of them in the same cup. And like that was a thing that a nine-year-old thinks is wonderful. It's like, what's your ultimate meal? It's give me four different sodas in one cup and a box of the sweetest candy that you can find. So I like runts. I think the runt I like the best is the banana runt because I love – I like real bananas. I think I could do a whole banana podcast – I talk. <laughs> I think bananas are one of the most fascinating items for purchase in American society. 
Because the process to me of making a banana, which requires like planting a banana tree, and you don't like plant a banana tree in Kentucky, right? Like you plant a banana tree in another country, don't you? You plant a banana tree, then the banana grows, then you have to take the banana off the tree, then you have to put, now you don't have to do much to the banana because it comes in its own package. Gosh, bananas, what a miracle. You put the bananas on a truck, then the truck goes like to the airport or to the to the regular port for a boat? I don't know. Then you put the bananas on that, and then the bananas, they have to get in another truck to come to your grocery store. Then somebody at the grocery store has to take them off the truck and put them on a shelf, and then you get this thing, and a banana costs like 11 cents. It's like, oh, what'd you get? It's like, I got six bananas for 89 cents. How is that possible? That is a miracle to me. There is not anything. I used to think the greatest bargain in the world was chiclets because you can get 13 chiclets for 25 cents. I now think it's a banana. A banana is so nourishing, and it's lovely. I love a good banana. Don't you read stories, though, sometimes about, like, bananas might go extinct? That makes me nervous. You'd be telling stories about, oh, back in my day, there was this fruit. So uh, I love bananas that are real, but I also love fake banana flavor, like fake banana flavor in pies, fake banana flavor in candy. So banana Laffy Taffy, awesome. Banana Runt, awesome. But bottle caps are my favorite because they have the root beer and the cola, and then it tastes like you're drinking the soda from the Little League game. So let's talk about, what are we talking about? Uh, what's the thing that's happening? Oh, that's right, a playoff game. From the 513, watching a lot of national media this week, is it just me or are people still way overblowing the Michigan game and doubting us? People still, even after the stats you gave, saying Stroud isn't good against the... Uh, we gave stats saying, I actually think he's pretty good against the Blitz. People still saying he's not good against the Blitz and saying we have no shot. People wonder why we say Ohio against the world and even in a one-loss season with the game in the biggest rivalry in sport until late in the fourth quarter, people think we don't belong. What does Ohio State have to prove to show that we belong in the conversation of the elite? I mean, obviously a win Saturday in a competitive game or a win for the national title, but before we get to that point, what do we have to do? I don't get why people love so much to hate on us. Is Ohio State the most doubted and disliked elite team in the country? I say yes, but I still can't wrap my head around why. Um, I do think sometimes the choice of questions creates a perception, and it, and the media has a role in that. From the 614, hi, Doug. Thanks to you, Nathan and Stephen, for all your hard work and quality updates. Longtime listener and first-time ranter. Welcome. In reading the coach and player interview notes, it seems the team coming in with all of the pressure is Ohio State when all conventional wisdom would indicate it's Georgia that should carry this burden. The Buckeyes have the look and sound of a team that is about to let the Michigan game beat them twice. Meanwhile, Georgia seems loose and focused all at the same time. Thanks for taking my text, and I look forward to listening to the pod. So here's what I think. they And we sort of talked about this. Uh, Steve and I were talking about it. They are getting asked a lot about losing to Michigan because it's the last game they played. And it is odd to come in with a loss. It's weird to come into the playoff with a loss. So... People asking them that means that's what they have to talk about. And they're tired of talking about it. And it can feel like, oh, they're not over the Michigan loss when I actually think they are quite over the Michigan loss. But we, as a media horde, are not over the Michigan loss. And I'm not blaming anybody for that. From people on the outside, it's like, hey, I don't cover Ohio State every day. I'm going to go to a news conference. What should I ask an Ohio State player about? How about the fact that Ohio State lost to its rival for the second straight year, thought it was out, came back from the dead, and now made the playoff and is trying to now do something in the playoff when they thought they were done and their last game was a loss? That's a reasonable thing to ask about, but they keep getting asked about it.
So then it seems like, oh, why are they tight? Why can't they put the Michigan loss behind them? And it's, I don't think it's them. I don't think it's them. I think it's us making it look that way. So I do think sometimes, and I think you, some of you guys have noted, I think this, the transcripts are up on ASAP Transcript. If you guys ever go to that website, asaptranscript.com, I think it is, you can search for like all the quotes from all the sporting events in the world. Not all of them. But they definitely have the, the Peach Bowl is up there, and you can search. Like, they have the most recent ones up, but you can also always go in and search by sport, and then you can search by name within the sport. So you go to football, go to E, find Eichenberg, and find everything that Tommy Eichenberg has ever said that has been transcribed by ASAP Transcript. You know what I mean? Like, you can do the same thing. Paris Johnson, look for the Jays. And now we're going to have a part of the podcast where I say what the last names of Ohio State players start with. You get it. But if you go on there and you're like, oh, my God, they seem so tight talking about Michigan, which is a reasonable thing for you guys to do, they don't get to pick the questions. <laughs> they have to answer the ones that they're asked, and that's what they're being asked about. They're not being asked about, hey, how much has your defense improved this year compared to last year? They're not being asked about, hey, you have two offensive tackles who were All-Americans. You know, They're not being asked about, hey, Kate Stover, you were a linebacker in the, in the Rose Bowl last year, and now you turned into an important part of this Ohio State passing game. They're not being asked about, like, hey, Luke Whipler, you and C.J. Stroud seem to have a great connection, and you're both really smart players, and how does that help when you're trying to diagnose things against a Georgia defense? You know, you're not, they're not being asked about, hey, Denzel Burke, you had a rough start to the year, but you, you know, had to go through a little bit of an injury situation. Now you've come back and you were so important last year. Like, what have you learned and have you improved as a player? Like, that's not, they're not being asked about that. And so it can feel like, oh, they're hung up on the loss and they're tight. And I would tell you if I thought that. I, I don't think that. I really don't. I think they're more mad. And I think they're more... Let's not make the, the, the killer mistakes we made against Michigan. Let's go show people who we are. That's what I think. So we'll get more into that. But that's, that's where I am on this. Let's talk about New Year's Eve because I don't know what they're doing. I mean, it was the plan. So the game's on New Year's Eve, and it, I, it, blo- it stinks for you guys. It does. It stinks for a lot of you guys. From the 513, no rant here, Dougie. The Buckeyes are winning New Year's Eve. Just do me a favor and tell people to never again schedule this game on New Year's Eve so my wife isn't mad at me for a New Year's Eve party being Buckeye-centered. She wants to watch Miley and Dolly. Sorry, honey. Let's go from the 513. It, it is screwed up New Year's Eve. From the 419, the playoff games being on New Year's Eve is bull. I'm a Buckeye fan and Atlanta resident that would have loved to go to the game. But no, I am fighting that traffic downtown at that time. Now, instead of spending the night socializing at the house party I will be going to, I will be a ball of stress with my eyes glued to the TV, annoyed at the disinterested party guests talking over the undersized TV I will be watching on. My only positive is that I will be with Georgia Tech fans who will be cheating, who will be cheering against Georgia. So at least it's not a hostile environment. There is zero, zero reason these games should be on New Year's Eve, especially when it's not um, a Saturday. So, I mean, it is a Saturday this year, but like what other years when it's not. Rant from the 703, first time texter, welcome. New subscriber, welcome. Long time listener, thanks. What's the deal with an 8 p.m. kickoff on New Year's Eve? I get that it's prime time, but it's also New Year's Eve. Most people have the day off and many people have New Year's Eve plans in place before the teams are finalized for the playoff. How about noon and four or one and five? I understand that the West Coast is three hours behind, but there should be some middle ground. As it is, 
I'll be hooting and hollering in the middle of the Kennedy Center in D.C. while checking the score on my phone and we'll probably get kicked out. At least that I can go watch the game. Please tell us if you get kicked out, 703. So here's the deal with the New Year's Eve stuff. It is bonkers, but they realized it to some degree and it's not as bad as it was planned to be. If you guys remember, and I double-checked some old stories on this to make sure I remembered it correctly because, as you know, I have a terrible memory. When they started the playoff, we're in year nine of the playoff. The original plan for the 12 years of the playoff was to have the the semifinals on New Year's Eve eight out of the 12 years. And they wanted that. They were like, we are claiming New Year's Eve for college football. That it had been a New Year's Day tradition, right? But now we're going to make the playoff New Year's Eve. This will be cool. And then they had the playoff on New Year's Eve for the first time. And everybody was like, what is wrong with you? This is terrible. And the ratings plummeted. So the first year in 14, they weren't on New Year's Eve. Then they were on New Year's Eve in 15. And the ratings went way down. And that's all they listened to, is they listened to ratings. So the result is that they have backed off. They have backed off. And the only time that they're on New Year's Eve now is if it's like a weekend They won't do it like a Thursday night on New Year's Eve. That was what really screwed them up before. So the result is that instead of having it 8 out of 12 years, it's going to wind up, I think, being 5 out of 10 before we get to the 12-team playoffs. So they backed off a little bit. It was in 16 when Ohio State was in. It was also last year. So the four years so far, oh, no, it's going to wind up being 4 out of 10. Because it's going to be 2015-2016 seasons, right? December 31st, 2015. 15-16, 21-22 are the four times they're going to be on New Year's Eve. And so Ohio State will have been involved in that twice. They miscalculated. It's nuts. And it's arrogant to think like, hey, here's this night. It really is like the biggest party night of the year. But you know what people want to do instead of party? They want to watch a football game instead of hanging out with their friends at a party. Or they want to be at a party that is not about football and then watch football on a little TV because we're college football and that's how cool we are. It's stupid. I hope they'll back off of it in the 12-team playoff. I mean, everything about the 12-team playoff is going to be different with the timing of things. So it won't be the same, and I hope they get away from it. But they did back off it, but it's because um, it's a Saturday. Because they think like, well, it's a weekend, so we can do The only thing they won't do, they wouldn't do New Year's Day for sure if it's a Sunday. Right, because they won't go up against the NFL, but they will go up against your party. It's stupid. You're right. Everybody who thinks it's weird is right because the ratings went way down in year two compared to year one, so they did adjust. But the result is here we are, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this should be like two awesome things. When um, th- th- do you have those times in life, right? That it's like when I was in high school, I got tickets to go see Saturday Night Live. A friend, a friend of my sister's got tickets because back then you could just send in and they'd send like you got in a lottery and they just send you tickets and they were free. And it was also the weekend of my high school quiz bowl. (laughs) Very cool. And so I had to skip quiz bowl because like I'm going to Saturday Night Live. So I went to Saturday Night Live. It was the dress rehearsal. It wasn't the main show, but I did get to go see it. It was uh, Deborah Winger was the host. I'm not sure it was the first Tuntis, the driving cat um, sketch, but it was an early one. It was Urban Tuntis because she had been an urban cowboy. Deborah Winger. Again, I am drawn in the fans here. 
And then uh, Eric Clapton was the musical guest, and he played three songs instead of two because he's Eric Clapton. And I was like, why is this guy playing three songs? I want another sketch. So I saw Deborah Winger and Eric Clapton, but I had to miss Quiz Bowl. And that's what I always think of when you have two cool things that you want to do. And it's like, if these were on separate days, these, these would be like two of the, the most fun things I could do all year. And at the same time, you have to pick one. So that's what New Year's Eve and Ohio State in a playoff game is. But at least you, I couldn't play Quiz Bowl on my phone while I was watching Deborah Winger, right? At least you can watch the game while you're at the party. But sorry that two things are happening at the same time. So, but that's why, and also the idea of like, just as a reminder, this is the burden. It's most of the time it's okay, but whenever Ohio State's in the playoff, Ohio State is always going to be the second game. Always. They always have been. 14, 16, 19, 20, 22. Every single time they're the second game, they are the primetime game because of you. Blame yourselves because Ohio State is the biggest draw in college football. And it would not matter. If it was like Alabama, USC, and Ohio State, TCU, maybe? Maybe if it was like two absolutely premier programs and Ohio State against a program with a smaller fan base and less less of a draw, maybe they'd do it, but I still think maybe not. Because they are still going to get a huge eyeball audience in prime time because of Ohio State. Because there are so many Ohio State alumni and fans, and then there are people who hate watch Ohio State. But they are a great draw no matter what. So the result is, not only is it on New Year's Eve, and they're not going to do it at 1 and 4. They're getting prime time out of this. They are paying out the wazoo, and they are putting it in prime time. So I know, I know, I know. TV, man, what are you going to do? Quick break. When we come back, I'll try to talk more about football and uh, less about Deborah Winger. Next on Buckeye Talk. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I don't know. Sometimes I like to just relax a little bit because it, it can be like, it's all stressful, right? Sports should be fun. Sometimes it can be stressful. I'm sorry if I'm annoying you by getting off topic. Let's, uh, oh, maybe this, maybe we should talk about this. From the 937, my rant is I have checked out in the pods until after the playoffs are over. I couldn't do the constant teardown of Ohio State and its errors anymore this year. I am hopeful they bring their best performance Saturday night against, in my opinion, the best team in the nation. I will be back eventually to the pod, but for now, I need the mental break as a fan. Love the text and the coverage at cleveland.com. So we get it, and you're not hearing that. But we get it. Let's talk about the running backs. I did talk to Tony Alford at Media Day on Thursday from the 9337. More of a thought than a rant. Am I the only one that thought Chip Traynham looked quite effective against Michigan? I know Mayan was under the weather, but if the smoke leads to fire and he is a no-go for the game, I think we still will have an effective tandem of back. So I did have that conversation. Listen, I, I, we all want to know why Dallin Hayden didn't play against Michigan. And like Tony Alford was just like not going to give you a straight answer on that, which I get. The best that I could get from him was that he did – it's like, why was, I said, like, why was Chip the right guy for the moment? And he did go the veteran route, which we had talked about here. Is it just, 
a true freshman in Dallin Hayden. That's a tough spot, especially if Mayan's not himself and not. It's not that you're going to say, okay, Dallin Hayden's going to be part of the plan. It's like, well, we need the other guy because Mayan's not himself because of the ankle. The other guy's going to start. And maybe no matter how good Dallin Hayden was against Maryland, you didn't want to do that to a freshman for his sake and your sake against Michigan. Let's start a true freshman running back against Michigan. Instead, let's start this guy who's kind of been balling out in practice and has been around the block. That he, he agreed with the idea that Chip being a veteran mattered. I think that's the right answer. That's kind of what I sort of figured was the right answer. I think that is right. As far as Mayan Williams for this, everything that I've heard and I believe what I'm hearing is that he truly is just sick, that it's an illness. And um, now, does that mean it doesn't affect him? You know, we did see him. He was at practice on Thursday, and that mattered. You got to practice. So the fact that he was out of practice Thursday, that was a sign of progress. But he has not been at either interview session, which is fine, but it's an indication of like he's not quite himself. I don't think it's a smokescreen that the ankle is more of a problem than they're letting on and they're hiding behind an illness. I think he's sick. And so can he be himself and get healthy for Saturday? I think that's worth asking. But I do, and I do think just the conversations and everything that people have said, I think Ryan Day said this, it's like, I do think Dallin might play more of a role anyway. But I do think Mayan to start and then here comes a little Dallin is more doable than let's start Dallin Hayden against Michigan. So I hope that helps a little bit from the 410. Why the jump and chip train him over Dallin Hayden? I get that Chip played well enough in the Michigan game and the running back was not why we lost that game, but I can't get out of my head that Hayden looks to be our best solution at running back. We need our most dynamic players come Saturday. All of your reporting indicates Mayan is sick, might not be well on Saturday, and Chip seems to be the starter on Saturday. I don't I do think that it's more even though like this is a playoff game, I do just there's just something to the idea of is there less pressure? There's more pressure in the Ohio State Michigan game there is than there is in anything. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, right? No, of course. You're all yelling, of course? Yeah, so there's more pressure packed there. I do think that they are not afraid to put him out there in this playoff game, no matter how good George is, because it's more of a football thing, as opposed to like a, hey, this is where legends are made, guy who was in high school last year, and we really need to win, here's the ball, guy who was supposed to be a fourth stringer, okay? So from the 4-4, so I think Dallin is more likely to have a, significant role against to have a, a bigger role than he did against Michigan because the stakes are it's just different from the 440 not exactly a ramp but something that crossed my mind what if Dallin Hayden has two Ezekiel Elliott type performances in these bowl games I think that would make the running back depth chart one of the most interesting topics going into next year I mean if first of all if he has two Ezekiel Elliott type games like you know build him a statue and like open up his NIL bank account like, if that's what we're talking about, like, oh, what if Dallin Hayden leads Ohio State to a national title? It's like, uh, it will make the running back room interesting. It will also make him a historic figure in Ohio State football history. So um, I don't – my guess is that it's not a huge night, sort of regardless for the run game. I do think the best chance is Mayan, like Mayan at it close to his best. But I just – I don't think that's where the bread's going to be buttered. Because if you try to butter that bread, Jalen Carter's going to eat your bread. So I, I almost, and I think I've sort of said this, I almost think it's moderately advantageous to Ohio State that their run game is questionable enough and it's not fundamental to who they are. This is the number one run defense in the country. So just don't do it. 
like it's not Michigan would not again I, I just don't think Michigan's a good matchup for Georgia pretty much any day I mean Georgia is not a good matchup for Michigan almost any day of the week because that's what Georgia stops best and that's how Michigan has to operate unless Ohio State's blowing coverages so I just I'm not super um focused on who the running back is going to be or what the pecking order is going to be because I don't think it's where the path to victory runs through for Ohio State anyway. So this is a thought, and and I I grouped some of these, the idea of you just don't want Ohio State to get blown out. From the 813, this one is a little long, but hear me out. If If Ohio State gets blown out, then I firmly believe that Ryan Day's seat will start to warm up significantly. There's no shame in losing to Georgia. They're the defending national champs and have an unbelievable team all around. That being said, the talent on Ohio State's roster, combined with a month to prepare, should be enough to at least compete. To me, a blowout will signify that Ohio State is moving in the wrong direction. I will probably be off the Ryan Day train if that happens. If Ohio State loses a close game because Georgia makes one or two more plays, then I can begrudgingly accept that. Showing up uninspired, showing a lack of discipline, discipline, getting outcoached, etc., is unacceptable. Yes, Urban suffered blowouts once in a blue moon, but he earned the benefit of the doubt. Time for Ryan Day to do the same. I think I probably mostly agree with that. Let's try this one. From the 208, still trying to figure out why we are always worried about the other team when all we have to do is play our game. We do nonstop pods on why or how we're so outmatched when in reality we're just as good as anybody. Georgia had better watch out that we don't play our game or this could be a blowout with Ohio State on top. So so here's my – those actually weren't very related. I had another one about not getting blown out. Someone thinks it's going to be a blowout either way. I don't know if I agree with this. It's our guy Heavy Metal Buckeye. Just going to toss out my headspace for this game. I think it's going to be a blowout either way. Either we're blowing the doors off Georgia or they're going to smash us. The dynamic of the game is that we have explosive potential that Kirby can't keep up with, and they're a more physical, better coach team. Both of those point to a blowout for someone. I think that's a, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. In the end, I would say this is these are my three points on this. One is I will be surprised if Ohio State gets blown out. They are the more explosive team. I think they will hit on a couple of those. I don't think they will give up the same kind of explosive plays that they gave up against Michigan because I think they will have learned from it. And um, it's like, well, that wasn't what Michigan did either. So it's kind of not what Georgia does, but it's also not what Michigan did, and they still did it to Ohio State. So the idea that Michigan in the end believed that we can attack Ohio State that way and that Ohio State's going to sell up to stop the run, and that's going to help lead to those problems on the back end. I don't think Ohio State has to sell out as much to stop the Georgia run game. So I think that maybe will lead to fewer breakdowns in the back end. And also, I just like right in life, something goes horribly wrong. And so does that mean the same thing will go horribly wrong again? Or does it mean it is less likely that the same thing will go horribly wrong because you will learn from the first time the thing went horribly wrong? I think that right? Unless you're like, unless you're fatally flawed, you learn from mistakes. And they made enough mistakes against Michigan that I think they will have learned from them. So I don't think they get blown out. I think the offense will be able to do enough. And they, Ohio State is the more explosive team. I have concerns about Ohio State being able to consistently stop Georgia's offense. But I don't think Georgia's defense is even though it is great, 
I don't think it is great in a way that means Ohio State will be smothered. Because they're not a running team and because I don't, there's not going to be edge guys flying off the edge sacking CJ a million times unless you've got a, yes, you have to block Jalen Carter, but I think you can just sort of move away from that a little bit and take your shots. And so I'll be surprised if Ohio State gets blown out. I do think the idea of a competitive, I don't want to say good enough, but a competitive loss where Ohio State plays well is obviously significantly different than a team that looks like it can't compete. 31 nothing against Clemson. I think I do agree as much as I'm like, hey, come on, you know. And, and, and some people are sick of me saying it. You know, the guy's lost five games in four years. Like, come on, you're one of four teams in the playoff. If you go, if you play a game that makes it seem like you don't belong, then I think that's different. So even no matter, no matter if it's the defending national champion or not, because when they proved, and I, and, and I will say, I don't feel about this team the way I felt in 2016, which was I don't think they should be in the playoff. I, I, I did not think that 2016 Ohio State team should have been in. I thought Penn State should have been in instead. And then when they got there, it was like, yeah, they're not. Like I just said, I do think Ohio State's one of the four best teams. I don't think, I was trying to look stuff up. It's hard to find stuff on the internet sometimes. I don't think in 2016 I actually thought they were one of the four best teams. Like, they had some nice wins, but I think I thought they had, like, issues and some, like, fundamental things, and, like, Curtis Samuel was a whole offense. So I don't feel that same way. And so that 31 nothing was like, okay, we made it this far. We kind of sucked it up and won some close games and were tough, and like, but we have some problems. And that's what led to no more Tim Beck and Ed Warner, and here comes Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day. So I don't think they're at that place, but if you have a similar result, it doesn't mean people are getting fired, but I think it means it's like, well, it's nice we made the playoff, but what it proved when we got here is that we aren't good enough. So I will be surprised if that happens, but I, and, and I do think then there is, I don't want to say there's value in like a moral victory. I don't want to say there's value in a close loss, but I think there is a significant difference in how they would look at it potentially, and at least how some of you would look at it. But there's a way. And so the third part of that, then the idea of why do we talk about Georgia? I think the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, the conversation around Ohio State is if they're their best, they win. I don't think that's true here. And that's rare. And so for the texture who said, why are we talking about Georgia? It's all about Ohio State. If, if they are themselves, they'll win. I don't think you can say that. And there's only a couple times in a decade when you can say that about Ohio State. But I absolutely think there's a world where Ohio State plays very well and Georgia plays better. So so I, you know, I, I, I think... I think like 98% of the time, like in the modern history of Ohio State, like which is the start of Woody, right? So if 1951, how many times, what percent of the time would you say that if Ohio State plays its best, it wins? I mean, maybe not quite 99% when we're talking about like the great Michigan teams, right? That Woody faced in the 10-year war and some of the great Rose Bowl teams that they faced, right? So, so maybe 99% is too high, but maybe like since the Trestle era, maybe like 95% is right. And then the whole thing with, with the Trestle era was like, 
Well, when you got to Florida and LSU, and it's like, oh, can you not compete? They didn't play their best, but there were also things that made you say, I don't know. Even Ohio State at its best might not be able to get this done. There's something, there's a, a talent gap here that needs to be addressed, which led us to the 2008 recruiting class and Terrell Pryor and all those guys, because I think they saw that. So I don't think it's just about Ohio State. And I do think this texture makes a good point from the 513. Putting this as simply as I can, obviously Ryan Day has to have a good game, but Georgia and Kirby Smart are not going to have a bad game. Ohio State has to out-execute Georgia plain and simple. That's what it will come down to, one-on-one with your matchup and buck up and get the job done. I also agree with that. I don't think Georgia's going to lose this game. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I think I've, um, I, I don't, I don't know Kirby Smart. I had not ever covered a game with Kirby Smart before this. And this was another conversation I was having on Thursday is, do great coaches win national championships or does it winning a national championship make you a great coach? Because I can, it certainly looks like from the outside before last year, it was like, oh, Kirby Smart, he can recruit. He's a great defensive mind, but he can't get over the top because he hadn't. And then they had that season where they lose to Bama and then come back and do what they did and win a national title. And you look at this guy now, I don't know if it's different or if he was always this guy, but I think you do see a guy with a firm hand and firm control of a winning program from top to bottom. And I do think that it is somewhat instructive that you there are things that we can take away from Kirby Smart's career and success and potentially apply them to Ryan Day. And I think I've talked about that before here. And I think the idea that Kirby Smart won a national title in one, two, three, four, in year six. And after four years, and Ryan Day is in year four right now, Kirby Smart went eight and five, 13 and two, 11 and three, 12 and two. He had lost in a national title game in the overtime game against Alabama when Alabama put, uh, put Tua in the game. They had been very good, but they had not gotten over the top. They had not gotten over the top. And after um, 2019, after his fourth year, the offense wasn't good enough, and that's when he brought in Todd Monken, and that really helped. That really helped change who Georgia was, and Kirby knew he could handle the offensive side of the ball. And so I think, you know, Ryan Day brought in, Kirby brought in in Todd Monken, who I wrote about this week, in year five. Jim Knowles is here in year four. But maybe you applied of like, okay, well, it didn't happen instantaneously. I think winning the national title has made Kirby Smart a better coach. He, and, it, and I think he proved that he was always very good. And maybe there are just some other things. You've got to make a couple adjustments. You've got to get a little lucky. You've got to play better in big games. And all of a sudden, you're a national champion. I can see a similar path for Ryan Day. Now, does, that, does it begin now? Because, again, for Kirby, it was year six when he won the national title. Or is year four for Ryan Day still part of the learning curve? It doesn't excuse anything. And it doesn't mean that like, oh, well, now you have to wait. You know, you got to give Ryan Day six years because it took Kirby Smart six years. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not making excuses. I'm trying to be realistic about coaches grow, coaches learn. And I think you can see now with a ring on his finger – and a firm under and, and a good staff and a firm understanding of who they are and how they go about it. I think Kirby Smart is a man who, from the outside, from 
a week of being around Georgia is a guy who has a firm grasp on who his team is and who they want to be. And I think there's a lot of culture in that. I think there's a lot of player relationships in that. I did ask Kirby Smart about how when you have an expertise on a side of the ball, how do you decide how much you want to be intimately involved in the play calling on that side of the ball? And he said it's changed for him over the years based on what his team has needed, based on who his coordinators are, based on if they're new, do they need help, have they been around, they're okay. But uh, he, um, I think, has a really good relationship with his team. And I do think Ryan Day, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a culture problem at Ohio State. Is Ryan Day learning, continuing to learn how to balance his time, how to divvy up his responsibilities, and could he gradually become more intimately involved with every player on the roster on a daily basis? Not a daily basis, but on a regular basis and remove himself slightly more from the X and O's scheming kind of things. Maybe. Maybe. And it feels like Kirby Smart's done that. It feels like Kirby Smart's in a pretty good spot. So does that mean that you think that if Ohio State loses to Georgia, that you're like, he's not the guy? Because um, I've been having this conversation with the Browns and Kevin Stefanski. And, and I have real questions about whether Kevin Stefanski is the guy at Ohio State and I th- at, 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 with the Cleveland Browns. And I think there are some comparisons between Ryan Day and Kevin Stefanski, but I think one of the things that I question with Kevin Stefanski is his leadership in the locker room. And it's different leading millionaires than it is leading 18 to 22-year-olds. Um, but, and not to make too much of things, but like even with the Ryan Day finger-pointing with Greg Schiano on the sideline in the Rutgers game that we all saw, like I cannot, right now at least, I cannot imagine Kevin Stefanski doing that. But Ryan Day, I do think, has that in him. And so I don't think Ryan Day is incapable of being a coach who relates to his players and develops a culture of, tuss- of toughness. I do think right now, with all the things that a head coach does, does he devote the time to that that would allow him to maximize that as opposed to time devoted to scheming up offense? I think that's a reasonable question, and I think that's part of a coach's evolution. And yes, it is something that when you have never done it and you did not start off at Florida Atlantic and have four years there and figure out all these responsibilities. And when you're a head coach for the first time at any level and it's at a place like Ohio State, maybe there is a learning curve. It is not an excuse. It doesn't mean you get extra time. It doesn't mean you're allowed to lose because you're new. That's not what it means. But Kirby hadn't done it. Kirby didn't go somewhere else first. Kirby went straight to Georgia. And then he, what did Kirby do? Kirby got the recruiting in order, right? Because Mark Richt wasn't recruiting well enough. Kirby went after it and got the recruiting in order. What did Ryan Day do? Ryan Day got the offense in order because that's what he was brought here to do. The recruiting was already good, but it's like in this modern era with the things that you have to do, is Ohio State's offense modern enough in this game? And I think that's what he did. And so then you get you say, okay, I fixed the thing that I'm best at. Now what? Well, now is comprehensive evaluation top to bottom of your program and how you spend your time making that program its very best. 
And I think we are not finished with that cycle with Ryan Day. Now, you can't lose while you're figuring it out. you got to win along the way. But is Ryan Day the best head coach that he is going to be? Is he fully maxed out right now in who he is as a head coach? I think no. Is Kirby Smart maxed out in who he is as a head coach in year seven compared to Ryan Day year four? I think he might be close. I think he's certainly closer than Ryan Day. So then what does that mean? It means if Ohio State does not win a national championship this year in a season when it lost to Michigan for the second straight time, you say things need to improve. You need to evaluate. You need to evolve. You need to think about the daily responsibilities. And are you doing, are you using the 18 waking hours that you have in a way that is the absolutely most effective for the Ohio State football program? I think those questions can be asked for sure. And I can understand if maybe the answer, like maybe you and I would arrive at the conclusion that our opinion is no. Here's how I would change these three hours, Ryan Day. I'm giving you six hours sleep. There's 18 to work with. I think your 15 are pretty good, but do you got to see your family too. You don't have to work 18 hours a day. That's not healthy. But I think maybe he would do that too. And maybe you would say, well, then that's why they shouldn't have hired a, a guy who'd never been a head coach. I don't, I don't, if you're at that point now, I don't know that a, a ton of people were saying it at the time. But if that's part of your evaluation now, that's not unreasonable. But you're now you're four years into it, and they've made the playoff three years out of four, and they've won a lot of games. And so do you do you bail on something, or do you say, well, there's a continuing evolution. Let's see how you go about getting better. But I think Kirby Smart is maybe a lesson here. Or maybe not even a lesson, maybe just an example both for Ryan Day and for us. And um, that's why I think this game's pretty interesting. For the 919, I thought long and hard about this rant, Buckeye Talk, so this better come out in text as good as it did in my head. We'll see, 919, we shall see. Urban always said, four to six, A to B, right? Four to six seconds. In the Michigan game, um, five, four to six second Lapses in judgment by the Buckeyes cost us a perfect season. My take is eliminate some of the lapses of judgment and we win. I understand they are human and you all say they are kids, but they get NIL money that is more than some listening to this podcast get and criticism comes with playing sports. Agreed. Cade Stover had two passes, one that was a great pass breakup by the Michigan DB in the end zone and another ending in an interception that hit him right in the hands. You always hear if it hits your hands, you have to catch it. Ronnie Hickman, turn around and play the ball. Don't get a pass interference. Penalties like the one from G. Scott can't happen. And G. Scott, Ryan talked to, uh, Nathan talked to G. Scott about that. And he just said, like, I can't do that. It's a, it was a lapse in judgment. He took responsibility for that. You will not and don't have to be perfect, but we will have to be solid and opportunistic. When Tennessee had shots at the champ, they missed almost every one. CJ and the offense will get opportunities. Tommy Two Thumbs and the defense will get their opportunities. When you take a shot at the champs, you best not miss. These Buckeyes will not miss. I still believe in these young men. 
Also, as fans, can we please be better on social media? We are in the playoff for crying out loud. And even and under every post, there are other teams' fans and our fans blasting our Buckeye coaches and players. Can we lock in as fans and support full throttle this Saturday? I may blast my team in a private text thread, but never on social medias, and I will never pile on. So I do think that idea, again, we talked about that, I think, after talking to Jim Knowles. You can't just say, well, if you take away the five horrible plays we made, <laughs> we'd win the game. But I don't think it It wasn't, um, as much as this is like a toughness, con- I just was watching like David Pollack on Scott Van Pelt as I record this in the wee hours, Thursday night, Friday morning. And the toughness thing came up again. And it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't think Ohio State got like steamrolled like down to down like oh my like they gave up big plays and so there's been like the a continuing like toughness thing for all of us right I mean we've talked about a lot we've probably talked about it um too much and I and I do think that there are I I wanted to make this point because I think there's there's two things about toughness and I think one is not an issue at all and I think one does matter. From the 3-3-0, Doug, I believe Ohio State can win this game, but I think the talk about physical physicality may cause them to lose. If they get into a manly match against Georgia, they will lose. Smash mouth football is a doomsday scenario. My plea and rant is for Day to throw the ball 30 more times than running it. I want them to chuck it deep too. Marvin on a go route against two defenders is still a 50-50 ball in my opinion. So I agree with that from the 3-3-0. I do agree with that because I don't think they have to be tough like physically, but they have to be tough mentally. And so I do think that is a reasonable thing. And that is, if you get down, you, I think you want to see guys walking up and down the sideline, you know, patting guys on the back and and rallying the troops. I think um, it's the thing that we sort of talked about for the Michigan game a year ago. If a guy feels like something's getting physical and there's going to be a fight, make sure that there are guys getting his back. You know, when you're when a guy takes a hit, make sure you go and pick your teammates up. Like all those kind of things where you are mentally tough and locked in and you don't let one bad play turn into another bad play. Physically tough, that's not the you're more explosive. Be more explosive. Don't try to don't try to make Luke Whipler knock Jalen Carter back nine yards by himself. Luke Whippler's tough. Be mentally tough. Be smart, though. And being smart is part of being mentally tough. Take advantage of, of where you have edges. Don't, um, don't chase things that aren't there. But I, I do think, and it's, and it's not that, it's not that I think they aren't mentally tough, but I think they need to maybe take that to an extreme. I don't think it's going to be a hostile environment. I don't think playing in the state of Georgia in a stadium that the Bulldogs have already played in twice this year, I don't really think any of that is a big deal at all. I'll be curious. There's going to be a lot of Ohio State fans here. It's red versus red, which is always a pain. It's hard to get a read on the crowd. But we'll hear it, and and I don't think that environment is going to be a problem. And then again, I also think they like it. So I think that part of it is not is not going to be a thing. Um, and so now let's get into some of the people. So so there are some people who are like, just keep it close. Let's talk about, some of you think they're going to get blown out. Some of you think they're going to win. So let's try to talk out both sides of this equation. From the 513, I'm going to the game with cautious optimism. 
I talked to some Georgia fans, and they were pretty confident. I actually think this can be an advantage for the Buckeyes. Being underdogs gives you more motivation and less pressure since you're not expected to win. ESPN's giving Ohio State a 42% chance to win, which I assume is in one of those ESPN formulas, which confirms that we have a chance. It's going to come down to the offense not making mistakes and the defense playing solid. I think losing is also a great motivation. Like Woody said, there's nothing that cleanses your soul like getting the heck kicked out of you. That's from Brian in Cincinnati. So I think, I think, to me, cautious optimism is pretty right on. That's I think that's where I would suggest you be because I think that's real. From the 419, I've been annoyed recently about the vibe around this team because of the loss to the team up north. The goal of the season is to compete for a championship, and we made it there despite the loss. I feel like too many fans are feeling like we don't belong because of the game we lost. Bama backed into the playoff after losing their rivalry game in 17, and I don't feel like any Bama fans were feeling sorry for themselves. Same with Georgia last year. Both of those teams went on to win the title. Don't be paralyzed by a slip-up and embrace the opportunity we have. We have the talent to compete at the highest level, and if the offense is clicking, we are nearly unbeatable. It doesn't matter how we got here, and beating that team up north in a national title game rematch would be oh so sweet. That's from Mike. So again, like, embrace that opportunity. Um, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's foolish to have optimism about this game. I, I don't, I don't think it's Pollyanna. I think I, I'm not. I, I would tell you. Now, the, the, the thing that I have to caution you is that on occasion, on occasion, I have been wrong in my analysis of Ohio State football games. But my, my real analysis is I don't think this is impossible. I don't think this is a vast talent difference. I don't think this is a vast coaching difference. I think you can see the edges for Georgia, and I'm impressed by Georgia. But I don't think they're unbeatable. From the 513, hey, everyone, just subscribed this morning. Awesome. And already love it. Thanks for all you do. This is a general feeling I have about the game and other games in general. When the better team, when the, when the better games are weeks out, I find myself more nervous, right? So when you have a big break like this in bowl season, when there's a long wait, I find myself more nervous. And then as games loom closer, I always feel more confident. Against Michigan, I thought everything was lining up. I actually thought that too, and I've told you that. I was wrong on that. I thought the matchup for Ohio State was pretty good. We could stop the run, and J.J. was going to have to beat us. We know how that went. And now with Georgia, I was more or less hopeless when it was announced, but listening to you guys and thinking about it more, I'm confident. The Buckeyes need to come out and play their best, but I really think they have a shot. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel if they get boat raced and none of it matters. Should I be displeased at Ryan Day and the rest of the coaching staff or you guys for affirming my confirmation bias? Kidding, sort of. I don't want to be the negative fan, but I also don't think ignorant confidence is good either. Sorry for the long rant. Love the show. Ryan from the 513. I I don't think it's ignorant because, listen, some of the stuff in 06 and 07 as it turned out, right, there were questions about whether Ohio State had a talent level to win. And then, you know, I can remember talking about, writing about, I didn't have a podcast on the idea of like in equal talent games, does Jim Trestle get you over the top? Is he innovative enough offensively? Because a lot of what they did was be solid, play good defense, play good special teams. And then obviously in 2000, I mean, you know, come on. Troy Smith and Ted Ginn Jr. and San Antonio Holmes and Anthony Gonzalez, they certainly could be explosive. They were, Beanie Wells, come on. I mean, they were, they were explosive. But it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like, their intention necessarily. 
Their intention was great defense, great special teams. Don't put your offense in a band in a bad spot. And when you had better talent than everybody in the Big Ten, that really worked. Boy, did it work! And man, it worked against Miami. And then then you got to 06 and 07. It was like, hmm. First of all, is the talent good enough to compete nationally? And then second of all, are you doing things schematically that when you are at a talent deficit, are you are you getting over the top? That was a real conversation then. I think we all agree that the talent level of Ohio State, I mean, right? It's the national recruiting. Um, it's the, the kind of the quarterback play that they're bringing in on a regular basis, five-star quarterbacks. You know, Troy Smith was a, was a miracle in a lot of ways. I don't think there is a huge talent gap here, especially when you look at Georgia and, like, offensively they have some guys. They have a really good offensive line. They're right tackle more. They have two guys, Georgia, still that, like, are – Kirby Smart's saying they're going to play, but it's Warren McClendon, the right tackle, and Lad McConkey, who's been their leading receiver, slot guy, right? Um, they've been, just like Mayans kind of been out, and they, I don't think, are sick, but they've sort of had lingering injuries. Talked to Matt, I also talked to Matt Jones on Thursday. He said, like, he's been practicing for two weeks. He said the ankle was really bothering him, you know, a lot of the year, but he feels in a good, in a good spot now, healthier than he's ever felt in a while. So... You know, this is not um, this is not like 2020 Alabama. This is not Najee Harris, a limping Jalen Waddle, Heisman winner Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, the Saban defense. Again, that was like that was maybe Nick Saban's best team. Like this, I don't think this is that. I don't. I think they're excellently coached and they have really good players defensively for sure. But I, I don't think it's this, that same kind of talent thing where maybe it was like, okay, well, this is just not going to happen. So I, 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 I'd tell you if I thought it was ignorant or naive. I don't. From the 440, Greg from the 440, but really the 919. I'm so thoroughly tired of hearing about Ohio State players saying they've been the underdog all year and everyone counts them out. How often is Ohio State an underdog when over the last 10 seasons Ohio State has gone to a season where the national sentiment has counted them out? How often have they been counted out, right? As a team built on four stars and five stars, I get so tired of hearing about how the players think people count this team out. I guess it may just be motivation talk, but it grinds my gears. It's okay to be have your gears, your gears ground by that. It kind of grinds my gears too. I mean, it's just it's it's not real. Like, are people counting them out as they play the defending national champion? Yes, a lot of people aren't picking them. Do people look at Ohio State generally and say? Those guys, they stink. Every person in the world picked Ohio State to make the playoff this year. Every every year when we do the Cleveland.com preseason poll, they are a practically unanimous pick to win the, the Big Ten. And guess what? They haven't won the Big Ten the last two years. They are not counted out. They aren't. Like, if they feel that now, that's probably real. The rest of the time, it never happens. Nobody counted them out this year. Everybody thought that the, it, the national title game was going to be Alabama and Ohio State. And guess what? They made the playoff. Congratulations to, like, living up to expectations. They're not counted out. Are they counted out here? Yeah, it, it does feel like that, actually, maybe a little bit more than I expected. I have not seen, like, everybody's picks, but I'll listen to this person from the 618. I have yet to see a person pick Ohio State to win. In fact, Bruce Feldman, Stuart Mandel, Dan Wetzel, Pat Forty, Ross Dellinger, Andy Staples, and Airy. Ari, oh, Ari, hey Ari, 
are not only picking Georgia to win, but all of them are picking Georgia to blow out Ohio State. Can you remember any time Ohio State was this much an underdog in national thinking? Yeah, 2014, for sure. Like, everybody picked Alabama in 2014. Everybody picked Alabama in 2014. I think more than this. I was looking at, I think I looked at the sporting news. One person picked them. I think, like, one out of seven. I think, like, two out of... Two out of eight or something at CBS picked them. Like it, I thought there might be more. I, I made note. I was watching Fox, one of the bowl games the other night. Chris Peterson, the Washington coach that Ohio State played in the Rose Bowl and the Urbans last year in 18, he picked Ohio State. Um, I, I have seen some people doing that. I have not listened to those other people because it, it's been busy. But I I don't – I. I guess maybe I should. I, I, I'm curious what the Ohio State's going to get blown out reasoning is. If it's they lost to Michigan and they, they definitely can't hang with these guys, if it's an overall talent assessment, if it's real questions about the coaching, because um, I just really see it as an interesting contrast of styles that could go either way. And so I'm intrigued by someone who would be like, oh, no, George is going to kill him. Um, because I don't, again, I don't think Tennessee's a great comparison. It was at Georgia. The crowd really mattered. It was bad weather in the second half. And Tennessee missed some shots early that you have to hit, right? They had some advantages there, and they didn't take, it, and they didn't take advantage of their advantages. So... I, I'm surprised there aren't more people picking the other side here. So I don't, I don't know. I'm surprised. Let's do this. Because there's some people who are not so excited about this game, not so uh, optimistic. From the 513, Ohio State's the third most winning school in college football history. I mean, think about that and then think about all the doubt and shade still being thrown our way. I love this game, but the amount of pressure and constant shift in who's who among college football, it's a bunch of kids. Young kids still learning life, and we place so much on their shoulders and criticize them so much. If you think about it, it's the best sport on the planet and the absolute worst display of humanity all at the same time. If I wasn't such a fan, it would probably make me sick, LOL. So uh, we can. I, I would like us to have this offseason conversation um, that is a lot of it is about redefining success. And I think in the name of everybody's best interests and in a changing sport. So the thing, and I'll just, I'll just say this here for now. If college football emphasized the final four, the way that college basketball does, that like when you talk about like, and it's not even like just like, oh, people who don't win a national championship, but you still get credit for final fours. Like when you like do a shorthand of Mike Krzyzewski, you say, well, he won this many national titles and made the final four this many times, right? And we don't do that. I don't think we do that at, at the highest level of college football. And if you said, oh, yeah, well, high state, you know, this is our third time in the final four in four years. We just don't say that. And it's a context that we're all in control of. And it doesn't mean that it excuses losing, but it celebrates more levels of winning. Because for a team like Ohio, you know, Ohio State has not won the Big Ten the past two years. There was a point, though, where you almost took the Big Ten title for granted. It's like, ah, oh, the Big Ten champions, who cares? Right? Eh, whatever. Like, that didn't matter. And then, like, just making the playoff didn't matter. So are we in an absolute national title or bust world? 
Um, I think the 12-team playoff will help us be less that. And I think that might be good. And it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you excuse losing, but I think it means you celebrate more ways of winning. And I think that I think that could be good. Let's talk more about some sad fans. From the 440. I'm 32 and I can remember everything about the Buckeyes since they hired Jim Trestle. So that's two decades plus. In the 20 plus years of my Ohio State fandom, I don't think I can remember the fan base being this down on the program. Between the recruiting, the results in recent big games, and the expectations of a big loss Saturday, it feels like the program is teetering on the edge of falling out of the premier program club. Even heading into the 2014 game against BAM, it was house money and the future felt bright. Right now, the future seems cloudy at best, and without a significant upset on Saturday, it feels like the Ohio State backslide becomes a reality. Maybe I'm being in it entitled Ohio State fan, or maybe I'm just falling for recency bias, but I'm worried that a blowout loss to Georgia makes us just another program. So I think that is an interesting take. I think it is a little too far, but I do think, I think Clemson's the comparison here, right? That Clemson was the, has been the second best program of the playoff era. But when you look at Clemson the past two years, they're good but they are kind of just another program now. Now we'll see what Kate Klubnick does as a sophomore next year. And we nearly lost their coordinators. But the sheen of greatness that they wore for so long is, is not there at the moment. And so I like the idea. I got to find another one. Someone was, um, well, <laughs> I titled this. I, I put the text in a list. I entitled this text Impending Doom from the 813. For comparison's sake, this game doesn't have the same energy and sense of possibility as either the 2019 or 2020 Clemson games did, especially the 2020 game. It feels more like the impending doom of the 2020 matchup with Bama. Okay, impending doom might be a bit much. I I do think impending doom is a bit much because I don't think this is that level of Bama team. They're very good, but I don't think impending doom. So it's um, not that they're going to fall off a cliff. But but would it be that they are no longer viewed as the best team in the Big Ten and that all of a sudden um, they're not in the top tier, they're not viewed as a national championship contender every year, and now they're more like a good team that would require a jump up to make the playoff. Now, the hard thing about that is losing in the playoff to the, the defending national champ when there are only four teams in the playoff, is the thing that would lead you to believe that they're going to backslide to the point where they're no longer a team that can make the playoff? Like losing in the playoff is your indication that they're not playoff quality anymore. Just another team, right? Because that's what it means. That I do think is a little bit of a winding road of logic because – if you say to yourself, oh, it's we're so far away from winning a national title if you lose to Georgia, okay. But if you make the playoff regularly still, I don't think that means you're just another team, right? So, I mean, it's all linked. It's the Michigan side of this, and then it's what happens on the national stage. And if and if both of those go poorly, I sort of understand what you're saying, but I, I, I don't think we would be at just another program yet.
I, would, I don't think we would be at just another program. From the 3-3-0, I get more and more confident as this game gets closer. There's no pressure on the Buckeyes to win this game, and I think that's going to allow them to play loose and play with their hair on fire. A month of prep and rest and laser focus has me believing the Buckeyes will win in a dogfight. I think Ryan Day will remind everyone just how elite he is, and I think C.J. Stroud will remind us all again how great he is and how much he will be willing to do anything for his team to win. I believe in these guys. See, that's good, right? It's good to play, you know. I don't, and I don't, I, like, that's, it's, it's fun to have belief in your team, but I, I'm, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's naive belief. From the 616, win or lose, I just want to see us fight and win. If we don't fight, I don't think this program is heading in the right direction. I, I think that's okay. I don't think that's too far. I think you do. I think you got to show up. Because that's the thing. In 16, they changed direction because they got to the playoff and then believed they were not heading in the right direction. So I think that's a, that's a decent comparison, I think, if the same kind of thing would happen. Okay, rant. Marlon from the 734. I fully expect the Buckeyes to play well Saturday night. If they do not, and if Ryan Day mentions the word execution at the postgame presser, I will punch a wall. Wall coach teams execute well. Poorly coached teams do not. If they go out and land egg again, then I'd think long and hard about silently hoping they lose at Wisconsin next season to hasten the beginning of the Luke Fickle era. I can't unsee that possession in the Michigan game that began with a first and 35 and ended with the botch fake punt. It was the beginning of the end that day. Another thing that grinds my gears is the thought that Ohio State needs to be perfect or play their best game Saturday night. They are talented enough that they just need to play well. This is not 2021 Georgia, and we saw what an aggressive passing attack did to those guys in that stadium. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, there's a difference between, like, execution and, like, penalties. Like, the, the hard thing about that first and 35 that ends with the misfake punt is, like, and we did, it, it was a tough spot. Mason Arnold, the, the walk-on backup long snapper, who's going to no, never get any attention. What a dream it is to be an Ohio State Buckeye, and you're never going to get any attention unless you do something wrong. So it, we've all confirmed, yes, it was a called fake punt, and yes, it wasn't executed, and he was at media day. And... It's like this kid is in a position he never thought he'd be in. Their veteran, long-time, long snapper, Bradley Robinson, got hurt. So he has to play. Um, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I get to play for Ohio State. And then this happens. And you don't want to, like, screw up this kid's week. But it's also, okay, we have – this has been a discussion – and I very much believe in the idea of when the discussion is happening anyway and you have the opportunity to go straight to the source, to go to the people who the discussion is about and say, would you like to add your voice to this discussion? I think that's one of the primary things we do in this day and age because all these discussions happen out in the world. They happen out in social media. They happen among fans. They happen on podcasts. And you're often talking about people that you don't have the opportunity to speak to. So when you get that opportunity, you have to go to them. No matter how uncomfortable it might be, you have to at least give them the opportunity. So Nathan, on his list of things, took that opportunity, went to Mason Arnold, and, and as Nathan sent to the texters, Noah Ruggles, the kicker, they all had the specialists together, and Noah Ruggles wound up sort of like jumping in and sort of like saying some things on behalf of Mason Arnold, which I kind of like as like, hey, your teammate has your back in that tough situation, and, and we're not here to ruin a kid's. To, to ruin a kid's situation. Um, but basically, he didn't hear it. They called the fake punt, and, and he didn't hear it. So, you know, when it's when it's down to um, a walk-on backup 
who's forced in, was recently forced into that situation, that he didn't hear it, there's some like, well, you got to make him hear it. Like, it's not just up to his ears. Like, that, there are other people, I think, highly paid people, whether it's Parker Fleming, the special teams coach, whether it's Ryan Day, whether it's somebody else, of like, you've miscommunication is not an option in that situation. And I guess if you pull the long snapper aside on the sideline and say, we are faking it, maybe the other team would catch on. But I think you have to be able to make, make sure there's no room for error in getting that message across. So, you know, you don't want to put it on one kid, but that that was asked. And um, you wind up having the fake punt. But again, that that the hardest part of that was like the holding penalty, then the, then the headbutt. It was a good play that it wiped out. It didn't just back you up. 25 yards because you got a 10 yarder and a 15 yarder you lost the 24 yards you had gained it's a 50 yard penalty it's a 50 yard penalty so that is lack of execution i guess right it's like whatever lack of discipline in the moment you can't have penalties um but it wasn't like a failure it wasn't like a catastrophic failure of like what a terrible play call what a terrible it was like you got a holding penalty and then a, and an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And at the end of the drive, you didn't hear the fake punt. So, like, I, I know where the text is coming from, though. Let's talk about letting it rip. From the 341, no rants. I just don't know what to think. The Buckeyes have the talent to beat Georgia, no doubt. Even if they hadn't lost to Michigan, the road to the championship still was going to go through Georgia. Will Ryan Day, Ryan Day let it rip or not? I'm trying not to get my hopes up. Um, I, I do think they'll be aggressive. Like, they want to be aggressive I, I i i think they will i really i really do think they'll i i, I think they'll let it well work i don't know but i do think they'll let it rip from the 541 doug my experience with talking to other ohio state fans lately about the upcoming game has been strange from my experience not a lot of ohio state fans think that the buckeyes have a great chance of winning against georgia i tend to be more on the fence like you seem to be perhaps cautiously off, cautiously optimistic pertaining to ohio state's chances there seems to be a fair amount of negativity surrounding the program lately lost to Michigan, some recruiting and misses, etc. And I feel as though Ohio State winning the Peach Bowl will go a long way to riding the ship, so to speak. Go Buckeyes and happy holidays, Mike in Oregon. So it is one of those, like, I, I think that's true, but it's also because, like, this is the ship? Like, it wouldn't, like, like, it would right the ship, but right the ship is, like, on some level almost implies, like, if you win and make the national title game, it would get your program back in position to be the type of program that can make a national title game. That, I mean, it's still the point, which goes back to the thing we talked about at the beginning. You know what I'm talking about. This is interesting for the 513. Will there ever be a big bowl game in uh, Indianapolis, Detroit, Minneapolis, or any other northern indoor stadium? Seems like a huge disadvantage that Southern teams get a high likelihood of playing New Year's six games at home or close to home. Same with Texas and California teams. Maybe nobody wants to go to those cities uh, above instead of Miami, New Orleans, et cetera, in the winter. But if the Chicago Bears build a new semi-indoor stadium, could Chicago be a big enough draw? So, again, stuff's changing with the 12-team playoff. I mean, we're in a position where the, the plan at the moment is to have those five, six, seven, and eight seeds host the first-round game, host the 9, 10, 11, and 12 seeds. So that won't be a Northern Bowl but it has a chance to be a Northern playoff game. And then we are all still, the, the college football universe is still too beholden to the bowls at the moment. And so the result is the stuff after that are going to be existing bowls. But I do think, but the national championship game remains outside the bowl structure. And I do think maybe there would be a possibility down the line for some of the other 
playoff games at the quarterfinal or semifinal level to occasionally exist outside the bowl structure, which basically just means giving a game like that to an indoor stadium in the North, that it doesn't have to be a vacation. And that's the still weird part of this is like, hey, you're playing in a semifinal in a hugely important game, but they also had a thing this week where like they were having trivia contests against each other, right? And they went and drove go-karts. And it's like, okay, that's cool, but also like, right? You're trying to, they don't normally like have trivia contests and drive go-karts the week of a game. Like you're kind of focused on football. So there remains this vacation aspect to the semifinals that when you get to a 12-team playoff and the schedule's going to be compressed, I wonder, even if you're still at both sites, will the vacation vibe lessen? Both for the players and fans. And, and there might be people who would miss that, but if that happens, then why can't you play in Minneapolis? Then why can't you play in Detroit? Then why can't you play in Chicago if they build it indoors? Then why can't you play in Indy? Because it's not about a vacation. So I do think they need to get to that point. It's good that we had the title game last year. Again, it was crazy. Here we are um, with a chance for a Big Ten title game in Los Angeles. We had an SEC title game in the national championship in Indianapolis last year. So that was, I think, a big step to have a, a game in the North like that. And then it was fine. So I don't, I don't think we'll have a bowl per se, but could we get to a point where you don't have to be a bowl to host a quarterfinal or semifinal? I think maybe we could get there. Okay, we did, what was the Doom thing we did? This one I titled Dreading the Game. From the 317, not a rant, but more of a general feeling of this team. I find myself dreading this game because of all the negativity, right or wrong, surrounding the program right now. I don't see Ohio State winning, and I feel like there's going to be a flurry of portal entries and no plan from the administration on down to mitigate the bleeding via catching up in NIL. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, and the question really has become how bad will it get for this program over the next two or three years, and what will be the breaking point for this university to ensure they succeed in NIL? So I don't know why people would think there would be a rash of transfer portal stuff. I mean, I think the NIL thing, as we've talked about it, is that primarily the issue is that is Ohio State able and willing to do play the NIL game as it relates to high school recruits? I don't know that they doubt their ability to keep players on the roster, and we don't have any examples of that yet. None. They have not lost anybody that was vital to this program in the portal um, as part of NIL. So... I know, I mean, I think people, I, I know Emeka Abuka was asked about that on Media Day. Have there been any teams that have reached out to you? Uh, and he said yes. So it's like people are going to try. So, I mean, if we get to that point, I, I, I don't know why you anybody would first guess that. That like, oh, I'm bracing myself for a rash of portal entries. Now, if you have to brace yourself for, oh, High State might not get as many five stars until this NIL thing gets sorted out one way or another, either Ohio State increases it or the structure of the, of the enforcement and the way things operate, that changes. If you're worried about five-star recruiting, I think we have some proof of that from this class. If you're worried about losing current players, listen, Jamison Williams left because of playing time. 
that was like before this NIL thing got going. If you're worried about losing current players, I don't think we have proof of that. We definitely don't have proof of that. And I don't know, I don't know what would lead you to th- like assume or think that could be like a big thing. I, so this is related to that from the 440. Pick me. Hey guys, Ross here, longtime listener, first time texter. <laughs> I appreciate Pick Me. Just got the text as a Christmas gift, and I'm amazed at all the content provided and would love my rant to be featured on the show. Well, how about that, Ross? We did pick you. Listening to other podcasts and reading around the rumor mill, there seems to be some reports that Lincoln Riley has already reached out to Marvin Harrison and Travion Henderson regarding transferring to USC, even though they aren't in the portal. Do you think it makes sense for Marv to transfer, considering the uncertainty of the Ohio State uncertainty of the Ohio State quarterback room and the fact that USC has a returning Heisman winner at quarterback. Also, I don't understand how the NCAA fails to see the obvious signs of tampering and doesn't even bother investigating. Like, it's a problem, right? Like, this is, people get nailed on tampering stuff all the time. Somebody, the Knicks just lost a pick, in, a second round pick in the NBA for a tampering thing. So it doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but it means there's at least some modicum of enforcement so that you might get pinched. Marvin Harrison Jr. at Media Day said, like, I'm a Buckeye for life. I asked Travion Henderson. I had a 10-minute, like a seven-minute conversation one-on-one with Travion. I said, are you definitely back next year? He left no doubt in that conversation that he will be an Ohio State Buckeye in 2023. So I don't know what the scuttlebutt, what the rumor mill is saying. Um, if the idea, like, so like Jordan Addison left Pitt after he won the Boletnikoff Award and Kenny Pickett went to the NFL – he left Pitt for USC. Well, Ohio State's not Pitt. So I've been saying we're really... Now, Caleb Williams left and transferred, but it's because he followed his coach. That's different. Like, if we get to a point where, like, the rumor mill, you know, the rumor mill, the speculation is, like, could Alabama get Drake May, the North Carolina quarterback, to transfer? I keep saying, like, if Caleb Williams just got a better offer from Florida State and transferred to Florida State. Like, that's the kind of thing that's going to shake people to their core. So, like, leaving a great program for another great program, like, leaving Pitt for USC is not that to me. I mean, Pitt's not USC. Pat Narduzzi's not Lincoln Riley. Like, there's, yes, I think there was NIL involved in that, but there's also football stuff that you can see there. Come like, if that happened, we'd be in a different world. And so I don't – Ohio State has not lost portal people. Bama had a rash – Saban had a whole big uh, explanation this week at his bull site about the energy vampires who were sucking energy out of Alabama. and they, One of their starting offensive linemen transferred, entered the portal before the Sugar Bowl. They lost 11 guys in the portal before the Sugar Bowl. And Saban was like – basically was like good riddance. You know, the playoff is a little bit different, obviously, but like that is not at all where Ohio State is. So I wouldn't start worrying about that because there's enough things that you can legitimately like have concerns about. I just, I don't think that's on the horizon of Marvin Harrison Jr. after the kind of year he had, is going to get poached. That their great players are going to get poached because either the NIL is just non competitive. Or there's something in the program that, oh, they're not getting the ball enough, or I don't, the quarterback uncertainty, and I'm leaving for football reasons. I am not there at all. So, I mean, maybe it'll happen someday. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll happen and I'll be surprised. 
But I wouldn't be I wouldn't go out of your way to be worried about that right now. And Marvin and Trevion said on Thursday that they're not going anywhere. From the 919, was getting caught up on pods listening to the talk of how the Bucks have really overcome huge setbacks, setbacks this year and made the playoff. We're a thankful but spoiled fan base with pretty absurd expectations. But in reflecting on things at the end of the year, we have so much to be thankful for. An exciting team that is led by a coach who, though still learning, obviously really cares about these young men and their well-being. That's the basis for continued success. A great tradition with fans literally everywhere. A university that continues to push for excellence. And, of course, a podcast that informs and especially entertains. Thanks, fellas. Happiest of New Year's to you all from the 919. Go Bucks. Oh, that seemed a little self-indulgent by me to read that one. But I think it's a good reminder. I don't know. I think everybody can use reminders of the obvious sometimes. There's a lot of pluses about Ohio State football. This is a thing that, death, that you guys might be hearing about from the 440. I've heard lots of strange stories that Georgia has planted hidden cameras uh, at the facility. Is there any truth to this? So this was a re- this was on a Facebook page of a reporter. The the allegation that there was a camera found at Ohio State's practice, and a Georgia reporter asked Kirby Smart about it at Media Day Thursday, and he said, "I don't know what you're talking about. It's ludicrous." And then Todd Monk and the offensive coordinator was like joking about it because he thought it was so ridiculous. And then an Atlanta reporter, Chip Towers, reported that what happened was there was a – so Ohio State's been practicing in Mercedes-Benz Stadium where the game's going to be played. And there was, a, there was a camera that was in there as part of the stadium, but it wasn't on, but it was just kind of in there because it was in there because they – the Atlanta Falcons play there. They have lots of events here, and it was just like part of the structure. Uh, but they took it out, but it, but that it wasn't on. So it wasn't planted by anybody. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I was standing there when Kirby Smart was like, what? That's ludicrous. So, you know, he was mad. I don't think it's Spygate, but I don't know. Maybe people are making something out of it. But that's that's more information that came out about it that, again, this this, this – well-connected um, reporter in Atlanta who sort of had some information on that. So I hope that calms some fears. I don't think they're spying on him, but that's what people, I think, were talking about. From the 614, why is it that whenever Ohio State loses a game that they're not supposed to lose, or whenever Ohio State underachieves, fans and some media members start making comparisons to the 2014 team? Don't get me wrong, I get the whole argument about going down into SEC country and playing an SEC team, but that, to me, is where the comparisons stop. I remember people making those comparisons last season when Ohio State lost to Oregon at home, and then they went on to lose to Michigan. Yes, 2014 Ohio State lost to Virginia Tech, but losing to Michigan in back-to-back seasons, especially at home by double digits, again, is a bigger deal. Not only that, 2014 Ohio State had so much momentum going into the playoffs because they actually beat Michigan and blew the doors off of Wisconsin en route to the Big Ten Championship. This year's Ohio State team did neither. Once again, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that people are saying Ohio State has no chance or right, because they're not, but ultimately the underdog and ticked-off narrative that's being pushed is interesting because Ohio State put themselves in this situation to be underdogs. I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I'm just so anxious heading into Saturday anyways. Thanks for reading from the 614. So I do think we've all made the comparison to 14 because you're a four seed against the dominant SEC team. I do think the better comparisons are like Bama in 17 and Georgia last year, where like you didn't win your, t- your conference title, 
you kind of came in the back door and then you won the national championship. So I do think there are real comparisons to that. I do think I, I, I do agree with the idea that the momentum, an early loss, but the momentum that Ohio State built up by the end of the year, right? The way they won the Michigan game, JT gets hurt, he's sitting in the stands, Cardale comes in, they win that game at home, and then 59-0 the Big Ten championship game. That is very different than this. That really is. Um, but the idea that Ohio State is rarely viewed as an underdog and has moments in its past when viewed as an underdog on the national scene, it has succeeded. I do think that is a relevant touch point, if not a perfect comparison to this year. But I do think if anybody wants to say, oh, two, 14, okay, here we are again. It is some proof of concept, if not an ideal team for team, situation for situation comparison. So I do know what you're saying there. All right, we'll try to do a few more here. I'm a little fried, I got to tell you. Not that anybody cares. If the, the travel situation just like, it screwed up. I, I hope it didn't screw you guys up with plans. I, it is a very nice reality that this bowl game is drivable from Ohio because Ohio State does not play in big bowl games that are drivable most of the time. And in a world where Southwest Airlines imploded, it allowed a lot of people I know it allowed media, I'm assuming it allowed some fans to still find a way to get here when the plans changed, and it would have been a pain to drive to Phoenix. So I hope everyone's travel is okay, but I do feel like it got me off to a bad start to the week, and I've been like behind on stories and behind on sleep from the jump because I like had a plan, like I'm going to go to the airport, I'm going to write, I'm going to work on the plane, I can get beat, and then it was like, oh, you're driving 10 and a half hours and you get here at midnight. So I apologize. This is not, I'm, I'm trying to finish. This is not as cohesive as I would like it to be, but you know, Buckeye talk <laughs> from the 614. I'm trying to get excited and I am excited, nervous too. I think we have a shot, but if we get blown out or embarrassed, it's going to be hard to bounce back from. It'd be a complete tri- time travel back to the nineties in years where we would lose to Michigan and then get crushed in a bowl game. So I just uh, was looking up like, okay, like years like that with Coop, right? I mean, Losing, you're losing the Sugar Bowl the one year, but like you're losing, Coop was losing like the Outback Bowl, the Citrus Bowl a bunch of times, the Hall of Fame Bowl, the Liberty Bowl, the Hall of Fame Bowl again. Like Coop, Coop wasn't losing to the defending national champion number one team in a bowl. So take this comparison, which I don't know that anybody has made yet, and I just came up with one second ago, and see what you think of it. Maybe if Ohio State loses to Georgia, And we enter a world where Ohio State is a two-loss team whose two losses were to the two teams that are now playing for the national championship. It's like, oh, two-loss season for Ohio State. Who'd they lose to? The two best teams. Is that more like 2005? And I have often said that 2005 might be the best team that I have covered here. And I'm not saying that 2022 is the best team that I've covered here. But that team lost to Vince Young in Texas early in the year. And then it lost to Penn State in the middle of the year. And that was the year that we had the game of the century with USC and Texas in the national title game. And Texas upset USC. USC and Texas were both undefeated. But Penn State finished third in the, in the was I think third in the rankings going into bowl season. Ohio State was fourth. And if there had been a four-team playoff then, 
even with two losses, I think Ohio State would have made it. But the reality in the end was they lost to what might have been two of the three best teams in the country in Texas and Penn State. And then what happened the next year was that's a two-loss Ohio State season with really talented players, and they come back the next year, and they're number one the whole year. So Troy was back in 06. He'd been the quarterback in 05, right? That's not a perfect comparison, but you lost Antonio Holmes. You lost A.J. Hawk. You lost Dante Whitner. You lost Bobby Carpenter. You lost Nick Mangold. You had five first-round draft picks off that 2005 team that lost two games. How did a team with that much talent lose two games? Well, they lost to two of the three best teams in the country. They just happened to lose in the beginning of the year and the middle of the year. This Ohio State team, if it loses to Georgia, would be losing, presumably, to the two best teams in the country, but they played them, because that's what the schedule is, at the end of the year. Does that mean this program's falling off a cliff? Or does that mean, man, they had to play the two best teams and they lost to them both? What, that might, what could that mean for next year? What could that mean for the thing that we've talked about that maybe seems even crazier now? 2023 Ohio State, one of the great teams in college football history. There is still a really strong group of second-year players right now. They're going to be third-year players next year. If you get quarterbacks straightened out, could you look at it that way? Could you make that comparison? Could you believe, and this might be a little more towards, not naive, but like, wide-eyed oh what Ohio State is setting up is an undefeated season where they start off as number one and are number one in the bowl season but is it crazy if you try to if you try to remove the names and you say who'd you lose to and when you lose does matter I guess but it's also like Michigan's always going to be the last game of the year and you're if you're in the playoff you're going to play a great team is it crazy to compare it to 05 and that 05 team lost a lot, but they also had some key dudes who gained a lot of experience playing some really good teams. Keep that comparison in your head in case it's not ridiculous. And maybe keep it in mind if you're looking for things to soothe yourself if it doesn't go the way you want it to on Saturday night. Reminder, we're going to do a picks pod that'll be out later. Excuse me, I have the hiccups. Friday as well. So I'm out of control. From the 706, hey guys, this is Jason from Ohio, but I've lived in Augusta, Georgia since 2015. This is my first time texting. Awesome. And just wanted to start by saying I've been listening to Buckeye Talk for a couple years now and wanted to say you guys do a great job and appreciate the work you do for the pod. Thank you. My rant is obviously I am behind enemy lines here in Augusta and I cannot stand how cocky and how, how cocky everybody is and how much everyone I know down here can't stand Ohio State. They act like they are Alabama as far as how good the Bulldogs are. Every year since I've lived here, all I hear is how they are going to win it all and they are the best. Now that Ohio State and Georgia are playing in the Peach Bowl, all I hear is that the Buckeyes don't stand a chance. It has literally caused me to hate Georgia football. Now, my saying is I root for Ohio State and anyone playing Michigan and Georgia. Wow, you hate Georgia as much as you hate Michigan. That's a lot. More than anything, I just hope we don't get blown out by Georgia because I will never hear the end of it. Thanks for everything you guys do. It's Jason and Augusta. Thanks to Jason and Augusta for listening and for joining us here on the texts. Um, this is one little thing that did come up. My rant is regarding the rumors that Ohio State, that Georgia's first 15 minutes of practice sounded like an Urban Meyer-style competition practice while we did special teams for hours. Talk about not sending a message or, in their case, sending a message. So Stephen went to practice on 
Wednesday for Georgia and pointed out that Kirby Smart was on the mic. And then Kirby Smart was asked about that, and he was just talking about how he feels like that's a good way for him to stay connected to everybody. Because when you're you're the head coach on the mic, you're connected to both sides of the ball, and that's been something that people, you know, I just saw ESPN did a little thing about it. Like, you're he's riding everybody, he's calling everybody out, and then it's the head like in a fun way, but like holding guys accountable, holding competition accountable. So that was what their first 15 minutes of practice were on Wednesday that the media could see. On Thursday, the first 15 minutes of Georgia's practice was yoga. So if, and Ohio State always does special teams to start off. So if you want to put stock in the competition level of the first 15 minutes on Wednesday, then I think you do balance that out with yoga. I'm not anti-yoga. I was doing, we called it broga. My friend and I were doing yoga for a while before the pandemic. I got to get back to it. You know, flexibility matters, especially when you get old. Um, But I do think, so I'm not like, hey, the competition and like that you start practice that way. I find it interesting that the head coach is on the mic. And that goes back a little bit to like the things that Kirby Smart's learned. And is there something that as you continue to be a head coach and you continue to make sure you want to stay connected to everybody, do you pull back from some things to pour yourself into other things? I don't think that means Ryan Day has to get on the mic at practice, but I think I think it's an interesting little nugget of a comparison. And does it is it just something that Ryan Day could take in? Doesn't mean you have to copy it, but is is it an example of Kirby Smart? really respected for his defensive bind, making a very specific choice to do a thing in service of being connected to his full team. And I'm not saying Ryan Day's not connected, but it's that I'm interested in. That I am interested in. Okay, I, I can't get to him. I can't get to him. Rant from the 419. I'm tired of hearing about preparation energy. After two years of losing the biggest games, put it on the field and talk about it in a postgame. I know coaches have to be aware of intensity for practices, but it just hasn't translated to the field. We seem to have talkers on this team who haven't shown they can win. Um, I hope they put it together, but I have heard of more but I have heard of more competence from this team in interviews than I have seen put on the field. I am bracing myself for a three touchdown loss and a non-competitive performance. After, I expect to be sending a rant about curious player personnel decisions, key plays called for three-star walk-ons, players getting tight on the field with drop passes and blown coverages. Lastly, that rant will include Day getting tight on the sideline. I can start writing it now. Somehow the Buckeyes have become this huge joke, and I don't like it. So that is, that is I think, real frustration. I don't think they're a joke. Like, I don't. Again, the outside world, I don't think the general college football world is looking at Ohio State as a joke right now. I don't think they look. I think there's a lot of respect, earned respect for Michigan. And I think people are intrigued and commenting on the possible power shift in the Big Ten. But I really do think the the larger portion of that is the rise of Michigan than the fall of Ohio State. And yes, people are having toughness conversations about Ohio State, mentally and physically. But I don't think the view of Ohio State is joke-laden incompetence, right? So I don't, if you feel that, I, I don't, I think that's just inside, you know, 
the inner workings of a, of a loyal, dedicated fan who thinks about the Buckeyes every day. I don't think that's where the world is looking at Ohio State as a joke. So if that's where you are, I would say um, it's not that bad. From the 419, it's Brock. I hope I am proven wrong, but I have Georgia 45-17 in this one. I am seeing the program on a sharp downward turn. I could see 8-4, and 9-3 and three seasons and national irrelevance in a couple years. That is total crazy talk since this is our third year of four in the playoffs and our team talent is so high. I just have this feeling things are going in the wrong direction fast from Brock. I mean, that is... That would be something that, like, Ohio State hasn't been in 20 years. So how much of that is uh, an NIL concern in recruiting that you believe would lead you there, that the rise of Michigan, that the talent level rising in the Big Ten, concerns about the coaching? Like, it, like whatever this season is, whatever this season is, whatever disappointments, not whatever disappointments, it's disappointing for Ohio State fans that Ohio State lost to Michigan. It is. I do think it is a pretty long way from eight and four and nine and three. So I wish I could get to everybody. I've tried to cover as much as the general vibe as I could. I wish I could send everybody individual texts back, but I can't. Um, and it's just you just it's just a busy time. And 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 I probably owe you guys, I probably owe the texters a little more attention lately. Um, and I apologize for that. I just had a, I had a, a very, 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 very minor medical thing that did just take up a couple, a couple days over, um, break that knocked me out for a little bit. Not like literally knocked me out, but just like, I wasn't, I didn't have as much time as I usually do to, to devote, um, to bowl lead up kind of things. And, um, it's just been it, like, it's just like the travel. I just, I, I don't feel like I, I, I don't, I'm not quite as connected to the pod and quite as connected to the texts as I wish I was right now. And so we're trying to give you guys news and analysis. I don't feel I'm giving you the love and attention that you should be getting because this is the best time. It's great. It's great, right? Shouldn't this be great? So I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll get back locked in with you guys sooner than later. Um, and, you know, as I always say, I'm not trying to kiss your butt. I just, I do value what uh, what Buckeye Talk is. And I do value uh, the people who take time to be producers on this show by sending in texts that drive the content. And the people who read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU, you know, it costs money to come down here. It's actually not a terribly expensive trip. The media hotel's pretty cheap, and it's not as expensive to get to Atlanta as it is to get to Pasadena or Phoenix or whatever. But, you know, we got to pony up in a tough journalism industry uh, to be able to do this, to be able to send three people here. And we can do that because people uh, consume our product. So then the product has to be the best it can be. And and I don't think it's, I don't think it's been as good as it could be what my contribution to it in the last week or so. So I apologize for that. Um, but we're going to have a picks pod later on Friday. We're going to have more stories. We're going to have a post-game pod that will be up Sunday morning for you guys to listen to everything we think about the game, everything we heard from the players and coaches after the game, whichever way it goes. And then we'll either be preparing uh, for Ohio State playing in a national championship game, potentially against Michigan. And, and that will be, again, I think one of the most intense it will not be. I think it will be the most intense experience of certainly my time around Ohio State. And I would imagine for you guys, it would, 
I would think it would be the most intense experience of your Ohio State fandom, no matter how old you are, if Ohio State and Michigan play in a national title game. So we will be prepared for that, and we will bring our A game for that if we get to that point, because we have to, because we need to understand how historic that would be. And I think it is going to be angsty. There are some texts that I didn't get to about there is at least one person who doesn't even want Ohio State to be Georgia because they don't want the risk of then losing to Michigan for a second time in the national title game. So I'll leave you with this. Georgia's defense is excellent. Nobody is disputing that. Nobody is disputing that at all. But overall defense, EPA per play, again, it's a, a metric of measuring overall defensive incompetence, not incompetence, measuring overall defensive competence. Michigan is third this year in that ranking, defensive EPA per play. Georgia is sixth. Penn State is seventh. Iowa is eighth. Ohio State is 11th. And Wisconsin is 16th. So I think Georgia is the best defense that Ohio State has played. But do not, I would say, underestimate the fact that this Ohio State team has played some very good defenses this year. I think that's real. I think it is not only propped up by bad Big Ten offenses. Partly, it always is partly propped up by that. But when you think that Wisconsin is 16th, Ohio State scored 52 on Wisconsin. Iowa and Penn State were ranked right behind Georgia they scored 54 on Iowa, and they scored 44 on Penn State. Now, some of the Penn State stuff was helped by JT Tuimolo while having a great game and forcing turnovers. Of course, that matters. And it took them a while to work it out. It did. But they have played. And then Michigan is great. Like, Michigan, Michigan's defense is really good. 23 is not enough. Ohio State needs to score more than 23 against Michigan in that situation. And they, they're going to need to score more than 23 against Georgia on Saturday. But I, I would say as much respect as Georgia's defense deserves – Understand that Ohio State has faced some other defenses this year that also deserve respect, and they've been tested by them, and they passed three of those tests. It's going to be tough. We'll make our picks on the other pod, but I would, I'm going to tell you if you think they have a chance, you're not a naive, wide eyed Pollyanna. Homer. I think Ohio State has a chance. Okay. Thanks to you guys as always. Read Cleveland.com slash OSU. If you want my pick ahead of time, if you can't wait till the Friday pod, it's coming out a couple hours after this. College Football Survivor Show. I gave it earlier this week. We also did a breakdown. We did a draft of the 20 best players in the playoff. And we always invite you to try the College Football Survivor Show twice a week. But for now, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.